At each stage of the life of David, we learn a valuable lesson about the life of faith. We learn to face our giants, just as we learn to confront our temptations. And today, we learn a lesson from David that is as important and timely as all the rest. What does it mean to have a committed faith and not just a casual one? How can you be a passionate Christian and not just a pretender? At the outset of today's scripture reading, the nation of Israel had endured some really tenuous and trying times. David had led them through many successful but very costly battles against foreign armies, including their arch nemesis, the Philistines. The Israelites were a nation divided between regional factions in the north and the south. Their morale as a people needed a boost, some some way to rally together in a show of civic pride and, and solidarity, something to bring them together with enthusiasm. So, in today's scripture reading, David decided to bring out the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's, that's basically the equivalent between what he did and what we experienced in this city last Monday. For those of you who attended the boat parade through downtown Tampa, you saw 2 Samuel chapter 6 come to life in a manner of speaking. Thousands of people were jammed along the shorelines and on their boats, dressed in their tribal attire celebrating with all their might as they witnessed that grand and glorious relic of power and achievement pass by them. Now, there was, there was no shirtless King David, but we did have Nikita Kucherov, and there were no Hebrew harps and castanets, but there sure was enough Champa Bay pride to go around. Well, that's basically why David brought out and paraded the Ark of the Covenant that day. It was the very symbol of God's presence and power all the way since the days of the Exodus. The Ark had been held captive by the Philistines for years until David's army defeated them in the prior chapter. Regaining that Ark was a moment of of sheer triumph, far greater than any sports trophy. Because for the Israelites, it felt like a return to glory. So David paraded that ark in front of the people to, to whip them up in a nationalistic frenzy, a kind of ancient Near Eastern Bastille Day in a show of military force and strength. But David went one step further. He not only used the ark as a military demonstration, he used it to make a shrewd political move because he was also moving that ark to a new permanent location, one that had just been seized in the prior chapter. It would become a new capital city, this time in the center of their geographically divided country, a, a new capital that would bring them together and bridge their divisions and make them one. And he would call that city Jerusalem. And it would be henceforth referred to as the city of David. This was much more than a Stanley Cup celebration. In 2 Samuel 6, 1-5, David took a nation that was worn out, demoralized, and divided, and transformed them into a proud, unified people. There's just one problem. There was something incredibly important that David had forgotten, and his mistake became a lesson that he and the people had to learn the hard way. 
God is not a trophy to be paraded. God is not an object to be used for our own benefit. God is not a genie in a bottle or a giant vending machine. When we use God or our faith to extract from it our own personal or social benefit, it is not only blasphemous, it is dangerous. David had forgotten that the Ark of the Covenant had come with a a set of holy instructions in how it was to be handled and transported. It was to be carried, not carted around. It was to be revered, not showcased. The holy instructions from the days of Exodus required that the ark was to be hoisted on poles on the shoulders of specially trained and chosen people, not military figures or civic officials. Instead, David put the ark on what was basically a parade float, on an ox cart, which had wheels that bumped and stumbled along the road. Basically, David wanted all the power and prestige of the ark without the responsibility and the wholehearted commitment that came along with it. So here's what happened. In the middle of today's scripture passage, there's a story of of how the ark was bumping along on that ox cart when it began to slip. And one of the guys riding shotgun alongside it did what any of us would have done. He reached out a hand and touched the ark to steady it. And that's when this poor, innocent fellow experienced a a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of demise. He dropped dead right there. The parade stopped cold in its tracks. David was angry at God, mostly for ruining his parade, for thwarting what would otherwise have been a glorious day of military and political unity. And then David came to his senses. He came to realize the very lesson that you and I need to learn if we are to grow in our faith the very obstacle that is preventing many of us from taking the next step towards spiritual vitality. David realized, it's not about me. It wasn't about God serving his agenda or blessing his people. The faith was not a lucky charm to give them what they wanted or needed. This wasn't supposed to be about using God to feed their egos or give them a sense of pride. This was never supposed to be like a Stanley Cup boat parade to bring people together. Because God isn't interested in fans. God is interested in followers. It was about them turning their hearts and their lives over to God And David realized in that one painful, shocking moment, as he looked at the corpse of his innocent servant who had just touched the ark, that God is an all-or-nothing God. We either give God the entirety of our lives and the fullness of our commitment with everything we've got, or we're better off not giving God anything at all. And that's when we get to verse 15. David was so convicted by his mistakes that he did one more public demonstration, something something astonishing, really, something that his predecessor Saul or any other king would have never dreamt of doing. He took off his royal clothes, took off his military gear, all the symbols of his earthly power and prestige, he stripped it off right then and there, and instead he put on what the Bible calls an ephod, a loincloth, not just any loincloth, but a religious garment, something that a priest would wear. 
It was David's way of saying, look, people, this is not about us. This is not about our own glory. This is about the God we serve, the God we honor, the God who demands everything we've got. It was an unmistakable act of penitence and confession and worship and jubilation all at once. Friends, God isn't looking for fans. God is looking for followers. We can be fans of lots of things. Yeah, I'm a fan of the lightning, but I'm also a fan of the Rays and the Bucks, just like I'm a fan of racquetball and live theater and Marvel movies. I can be a fan of more than one thing, but to be a follower, a faithful disciple, you can only be a disciple of one thing, and God deserves to be that one thing. And to be a faithful disciple means giving God everything and nothing less. Look at worship. Being just a fan of worship means going when it's convenient, as long as its settings and styles match my preferences, and as long as I get out of it what I want or need. But worship as a faithful disciple, as a follower of Jesus, means approaching worship not for what I can get out of it, but what I can give to God in it, and how I can give myself to others as a result of it. Worship as a fan means just a few minutes on Sundays, but worship as a faithful disciple means a regular rhythm of life and a daily pattern of living. Look at financial stewardship. Being a fan means giving on occasion an amount that's convenient, but giving as a faithful disciple means recognizing that God wants it all. God wants to be honored in the ways we earn our money, in the ways we spend our money and save our money for the future. And God is to be honored in the amount we give generously through this church. God wants it all. Look at the way you spend your time. God wants all of your time too. God wants you to be conscientious in how you spend your days at work and with family and in rest and in play, to do all of those things in the spirit of love and devotion to God and others. And God wants you to spend your time in prayer and in reading the scriptures every day and in having holy conversations with other people and in inviting other people to experience God's love in Jesus. When David realized this in that moment, when he stripped himself of his earthly garments and turned his whole heart over to God, the people broke out in even greater jubilation and enthusiasm. And that's what God wants from you, an enthusiastic, all-in commitment from you. I mean, the word enthusiasm, after all, means in theos. It means in God. To live as more than a fan of God means to live as an enthusiastic disciple who does everything in and through and for God's glory and honor and nothing less. Each morning, as you face the day ahead, may you make a conscious effort to recalibrate your mind and, and reset your heart toward God. And, and may you say, God, today, I want to be more than just your fan I want to be your follower. I want everything I do in, in every aspect of my life to be an offering to you, not just an expectation from you. I won't be perfect, but I believe my desire to give you my all is itself pleasing to you. So help me to seize this day with enthusiasm, true biblical enthusiasm in you 
as a response to your love and your goodness and your forgiveness and your grace. I want to be your faithful disciple. I want to give you my all. Let's pray. God, bless the prayers of our hearts in this moment. Teach us to make less of ourselves and more of you and help us live with true enthusiasm in you and for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.